Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I was getting ready for this episode with John, and I was really thinking like, And so many cool people that I know have come from the punk scene and gone on to do so many really awesome things. It got me thinking a lot about how much I love punk and hardcore. And I've gotten so much out of the scene. It's really made me who I am. But it also has a bit of a dark side. And that dark side, it's kind of like, you know, when you're Luke Skywalker and you're looking at the tree and you're going there and Yoda's like, yo, don't bring the lightsaber. Whatever stuff that you've got going into the punk scene, your trauma, your fear, you know, the good things, the bad things, all of those kinds of things, you bring them with them into that scene and you could be reliving them. And in some cases, your existence in that scene or your time in that scene can make it even worse. You know, I think about my own time in the punk scene uh, and it, which continues today. I have so many good memories, but I have some goddamn bad memories too. I look at almost every one of them and I can see my own role in it and how I got there. And one of the things that I've really thought about as going forward is like my time in the punk scene, if I'm going to be involved, it's got to be something that feels good. The reason I'm bringing this up now is like I think of John as just someone who's such a positive person, such a healthy person. He's so reputationally sound with people. So I know it's not that way for everyone, but it was for me. And a good thing that reminds me of is like, anything, whether it's punk or whether it's like sports or whether it's politics, it can initially be this like wonderful place. You're like, I got my people, I got my community. But at the end of the day, you still got to deal with what you got to deal with. So get on with dealing with it so you can be in that community. For me, John is just such a great example of that. And I'm really excited to have the conversation. So let me tell you about John. Uh, John Sinko is a branding and product mastermind who's worked with the likes of Revelation Records, Adidas, and Element Skateboards. He's done major project collaborations with the likes of Lucasfilms, Bad Brains, Sony Pictures, Peanuts, and more that are yet to come. He's a perfect example of those who've come up through the hardcore world and have made major impacts within a corporate organization. For him, it all, all boils down to that DIY mindset prioritizing passions and having an unwillingness to be held back. So before we get to our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everyone and welcome to the show so as i mentioned earlier we've got someone on the show today that i'm real psyched to have here so john not only has a really cool path as a professional but also very much like me came up in the punk scene and has been able to draw on some of that experience to create his own footprint in the business world so with that i think what we're going to talk about today and the things we're going to cover not only have really great value for people who are in the business world, but for people who are coming up in the punk scene and kind of thinking, well, where do I want to go? There's a lot of great nuggets here. So with that, John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aram. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, awesome. So first question that I want to start off with is, you know, tell us how putting an ad out in the paper landed you a job at Adidas. And, um, it's a it's a fun one, honestly. Like I I played in a band in New Jersey and responded to an ad back in uh, it was nineteen ninety because um, that's how you look for musicians, right? You found the the free paper and um, 
looked at what looked good and made some phone calls. And when I moved to Portland in 97, wanted to do the same thing. So put an ad in the Portland Mercury for uh, opportunity to play in a youth crew cover band because it just felt like, you know, what I wanted to do, just a little bit of fun, kind of, you know, not super serious. And I got an email back from somebody who eventually ended up, I uh, found out I uh, was working for Adidas, which I did not know was out there at the time. Um, and then I also got a lot of uh, email responses talking about how hardcore was dead. Uh, and we can talk a little bit later on <laughs> about how that inspired um, me getting in touch with the Revelation guys and putting together a tribute comp. So on the, on the side of just connecting with musicians, I, I connected with this guy, Jesse, um, who ended up being from upstate New York. So we had a lot of mutual friends, both living in Oregon. And uh, we started playing music. And as I heard a little bit more about, you know, what Adidas was like, he was a graphic designer there. I did what most people would do and say like, yo, bro, get me a job. And he's like, yo, bro, it doesn't really work like that. Like you gotta, <laughs> you know, you gotta put, put your resume together and send it through to HR and all that mess. And uh, so long and short, I ended up, you know, just really going after the employment agencies that were in town and found the ones that staffed for Adidas and basically just gave them the mission said, Hey, look, Nike or Adidas, whatever comes first, I'll take it. But I've always been partial to Adidas and they kept sending me stuff every week. And it was probably two or three months. And finally there was one and it was literally like a monkey job, but I took it. And as soon as I was in the door, I was like, wow, this is, it's pretty rad. I definitely want to find a home here. And it was just a temp job. So that was in uh, early 1999. Wow. All right. So let's circle back to that. Cause I think that's going to, that's an interesting story about like the value of just taking that leap, even for a temporary job, but let's go back a little bit. You came up in the punk scene. So how did you first get into, into punk? How did you find that? Well, I'm uh, I'm 46 now. So when MTV started, um, you know, I was watching, all the hair bands uh, come up. I was definitely into Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, etc. And uh, some kids came into town where I grew up in New Jersey. It was pretty suburban. And some kids came into town from Jersey City and they had a cassette. And I, I know a lot of people have stories like this. You know, you get introduced to somebody new and they had this cassette with like Half Off and Quicksand and the Raw Deal demo and GB 7-inch. And I was like, fuck, oh, this is insane. Like this is not what I'm used to, but I really, really like it. Um, and started, you know, really kind of listening to that kind of music and started playing that kind of music and finding that community and finding that purpose and sort of, I don't know, the mission of what hardcore had, right. Positivity, you know, trying to make change, being successful, even at, at making change in, in other people's lives for, for the positive. Yeah. In 1990, I responded to an ad, um, looking for a drummer and uh that was the beginning of backlash which yeah, we were together from you know late 90 early 91 until 1997 mm -hmm. and you know met a lot of people it was we were in north jersey so it wasn't you know the epicenter of like the revelation side of jersey or the new age side of jersey but you know we kind of rolled with a lot of the same crew and played shows in new york and uh you know just everything became relation-based and mm -hmm. how we connected with purpose. So 
Yeah. And so that relationship side of it and that networking side of it is what I find super interesting. So this is where I want to circle back to your job at Adidas. You do the thing like you're, you know, punk in a new city, you plant a flag like, hey, I want to start a band. Right. You put out that ad, you meet this person. But that's not like a normal thing for most people to do. Right. And then to like network and be like, hey, like get me a job. But the other piece that I find real interesting is the well, you know what? I'm even going to take a temp position and, and just I'm going to make it work. I'm going to get that job. So that side, like the networking side, the like kind of being willing to take a risk and take a leap and not go for the sure the sure shot thing. How much of that is you and what you're like, and how much is that is the what you've learned from punk? I feel it sounds a little corny, but I feel like I am who I am because of hardcore, because of the DIY ethic, because of. You know, building small relationships that you see over years becoming more fruitful, more more successful, um, opening up opportunities. I think the connection of walking into a place and literally feeling a draw to it, the way you might be excited to go to a show. You know, there's a show coming up, and you you can feel it. You know, it's palpable. Yeah. And the DIY, I think for sure. I mean, it's it's not a new topic for, for people who've come from punk and been successful in different ways, big and small, like you just learn to do it. Right. You don't, you don't ever look at the failure as an opportunity, um, other than to learn, um, and to kind of get back into it. And so, yeah, it was, I did everything I could to extend that first, uh, temp job. I mean, I think it was supposed to be like four days and I was like, oh man, this job's really tough. Like that's probably going to take me like a week and a half to do. And it was <laughs> completely stupid, you know, but I was like, I need more time on the ground. I need more, more time to connect with HR and some of the other people there find a home. So how were you able to stretch it out though? Like, how did you get, after you had that four day job that extended for like, let's say a week and a half, what was next? Like, how did you make it work for you at Adidas? I mean, basically, I just, I showed who I was, you know, I showed my work ethic. I showed my, you know, commitment. I looked people in the eye, you know, when I was trying to understand more about the business and where it could go. And I was fortunate to have studied business in college. I had a degree in business, but nobody knew what that was or where it was going to go. And I had no idea what like product marketing or product merchandising was, but, you know, fast forward to a few months later and I had a job as a product developer um, which was, uh, was fun. It was in graphic t-shirts. So my job was to work with the designer and the product marketing guy. And, you know, I filled in the gaps from where design stopped and where the relationship with the factories and the print houses, um, all came together. But that triad of product merchandising or product marketing design and development, you know, is something very similar, I think, to music where you're, you're a drummer, you have a role there's a vocalist, that person has a role. There's obviously the other um, people in a band and you collaborate together to make one thing. And that one thing that, you know, I started with was t-shirts and I was already familiar with it because we, we would always print our own t-shirts for the band. So it kind of came together like that and then just continued trying to better myself, understand the business and moved into a product marketing role, ended up taking over the category and, all with that mindset, I think of just, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be who I am um, and see what happens. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Like, okay, so I'm a drummer. I do something. There's a singer, they do something. And we come together to create this, this other thing. And 
if you think of a recording, you can isolate the drum tracks and not have anything else. And there's the drum tracks and you can isolate the the vocal tracks, which is awful to hear, but you can just isolate the vocal tracks, but it is really that coming together to, to create this new, new thing. And you actually need all these pieces. So if we think about, you know, coming up in the punk scene and all of that, there are clearly things that have helped you do that. But is there anything that you learned in the punk and hardcore scene that has hindered you in the business world that you had to kind of unlearn or figure out how to work around? I mean, certainly within a corporate structure, there's only so much DIY you can really do. You know, you still have to respect your elders. You still have to follow, you know, the protocols. But I think they also appreciate, and certainly brands that have character and charisma in the history, they appreciate the new point of view, right? Um, so I don't know if I have anything that was hindered necessarily, other than the fact that, you know, I like music that nobody else likes um, most of the time. So if I'm playing music at my desk, it may not be favorable to my my counterparts, <laughs> you know. Um, totally. If we go to New York, nobody wants to go to a show with me. But, you know, I do have some funny stories about being in other places in the world and seeing bands and going with people from the industry that I would have never expected. Um, so yeah, I don't think anything hindered me. It was all, it's all been positive. Okay. So, you know, if you were not to say to like, let's say someone who was coming up in the scene now, like someone who's like two or three years into, into punk or hardcore, the idea of like approaching your corporate job and you know, Adidas is a cool company to work with, especially like your career, you've worked in cool places, but even let's just say someone who works in a company that's like, I don't know, like doesn't, isn't, doesn't have the same appeal on the outward side of it. Like you're not working in a cool brand or something, but that idea of like, Hey, like approaching someone with passion. If you and I were to say like to someone who's like two or three years into the punk scene and be like, yeah, well, you know, as you get a little older and you're in a, a position in the corporate world, you can take the same passion that you feel in like punk and hardcore and try and recreate that in how you approach things. So for example, if you think about like a PowerPoint presentation or something, like how can people apply that same level of like integrity, passion, energy into what they're doing in their day to day in the work world? It's a great question. I mean, I think if we break down what hardcore is and just music as a product and, and back when there was more physical product, like studying the records that you have when you're thinking about your actual presentation, like what, what labels or what releases inspired you creatively? Like, how are they composed? Is it, you know, a small photo on a, a 12 inch that's just creatively done in a way that was different. And there's certain set standards of, you know, presentations that sometimes you need to adhere to, but, you know, finding creative ways through, you know, your record archives of thinking about different typography or different ways of saying things. And certainly from my experience, um, being someone who's on stage, um, trying to sell slash share and tell the stories of the seasonal collections is thinking about those people who were the vocalists who had the mic on stage, you know, I definitely love that band Bane for everything they are, were, um, and will still always forever be. But Bedard is an incredible speaker. Um, I liked listening to him talk and share and motivate and inspire as much as I liked, you know, going off to them um, as a band. Toby Marsh, same thing. Tim from Rise Against, like these. These, uh, these guys who have had the opportunity to 
think about what they want to say before they go on stage. And maybe some of it is ad lib, which is even more admirable than thinking about that and definitely applying that. You know, if I'm in front of uh, an audience of two or 300 people, some of which really don't know what's coming next. How do I introduce the story in a way that's captivating? How do I talk about, you know, even a t-shirt collection with meaning and, and history to get them excited um, about selling the collection or if it's to a buyer, you know, how do I capture their attention about what this seasonal collection is and what it's going to mean for them and, and how it all makes sense. Um, even, you know, the dramatic pauses, the where you look in, in the audience, do you look in the front, do you look in the back um, and hearing interviews, you know, about stuff like that. One of the things that I always find a little I'm a cautious about uh, with punk and hardcore is that like, you know, it's like in the outside world, it's like this, but in the inside world, in our little world, it's like that. And like that kind of thinking, I was always like, well, listen, it's just a world like you know, we're all, this little punk thing that we're doing. It's part of the bigger world anyways. And that differentiation, it's good to know where your community is and kind of like where your people are. But also it's like, yeah, like this is like we're we're a part of this thing, but we're also a part of this bigger thing. And that's just reality. And I always worry a little bit about that separation because like hiding in punk and hardcore, like making that the best, the best years of your life or life or like the best experience I could have. It seems to be like really limiting. Or I like the idea of being able to take the things that you like from punk and hardcore and replicate those things in, in different places in the world, bring those ideas into different places in the world, like create improvement or, or being able to create in, parts of the world that aren't touched by punk and hardcore anyways that to me has always been more of the magic about it for me you're like a real good example of that so someone who's been able to take that and bring it into the rest of the world a lot of what i've developed in my work and it sounds like a lot of what you've developed in your work is about taking things that speak to you and then helping them speak to people in a greater audience is there any danger of that so like as we're like getting into the corporate world and we're doing this is there any danger of kind of like washing out the culture that we've come from at all I, I personally don't think so because I, I think if you go back to the humility of what it is to put your soul on wax, right? Write, write things that mean something to you as a lyricist or play with the passion that you have, whether it's just the need for release as me as a drummer, like that's working out and playing drums are two ways that I can release frustration, but also share excitement you know i i work out when i'm happy i work out when things are tough i play drums on both sides and i think in our world in a corporate environment if you do things with respect if you have the humility to know kind of where you came from but also where you are and be excited about that and and bring people along for that ride um, when you start getting into leadership positions where you're expected to not just be a manager but be a coach, um, share truths, share transparencies of like what's going on in the world, um, what's going on with your world. And that's always been, I think, something I've tried to do differently than maybe some of the, the leaders that I worked for at the time um, was to just bring them in to my world a little bit. Um, I took actually uh, four or five of my crew to a Slayer show uh, <laughs> in Portland <laughs> And I made it not optional. I took them out to dinner beforehand and I was like, look, I don't care if you stay for two songs like this shit is something you're going to tell your grandkids about. And none of them would ever have made it and would have never gone. And they literally did leave after two songs. But that experience the next day, like they were all stoked that they 
they went because they're like, wow, that's, that's your world. Like I saw your smile, you know, and that infectious side of passion or that infectious side of stoke, um, it helps people connect. Um, I've found that my teams have historically worked harder when they know who they're working with and they know a little bit more than surface. Yeah. It's that vulnerability that I think people from punk and hardcore come from. For sure. Okay. So tell us more about your time in Adidas. Like how many, how many years were you there? And, you know, kind of like what were the moments that really stood out to you as being impactful? I was there just shy of 20 years. Um, and I think what I'm most proud of was the fact that I made it almost 20 years. Cause when I started, it was a relatively small company in the U S I mean, it, it was a billion dollars, but it was, it was small, it was family. Um, and you knew a lot of people and it grew quite a bit. One moment that I definitely attribute to passion and commitment was, uh, went through a re restructure and all the director level positions in our office. Um, we're going to get moved back to Germany and I was heading up, um, graphic t-shirts at the time. Long and short, you know, I was on the list of people to have their job eliminated. So I had a meeting with HR, the head of HR and the head of, you know, the division in Germany. Um, and they're slowly talking me through and pass over, you know, the, the paperwork. And then I just looked at them. I'm like, I'm not fucking done. Like I'm not done here. And they were kind of like, what? <laughs> and they were like, okay, listen, can you come back at five o'clock and just go back to your desk, put your head down and just don't say anything to anybody because more of your colleagues are, you know, going to have this similar conversation. And I went back at, at five o'clock and they were like, we've never in our careers met anybody who has gone through this sort of process as difficult as, as it is and, and shown a commitment to something for the brand and, so we ended up working out, um, you know, an opportunity for me to stay on and transition my knowledge into different teams. And, and I was given a, an opportunity to look for something else within the brand that wasn't there yet. Um, and it ended up being a few weeks and that position, I ended up working for a guy and a group of people that eventually transitioned to starting Adidas Action Sports. So again, like if I didn't have that sort of I don't know that confidence that that I feel like I developed through being in music and being you know somebody who was out on the front um, trying to promote the brand, uh, the band, etc. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to say that, and that led me to ultimately being in Adidas skateboarding, which is for sure um, one of my highlights in my life and and career. Having grown up skateboarding, and my first demo that I went to. Um, was with Mark Gonzalez, Mike Vallely, and wow. Jason Lee. And you think about, you know, all three of those guys, if you're a fan of skateboarding, you know, Mike is still around. He's a Jersey kid, so I have a connection to him from that. But you got Black Flag on one side. You have this, you know, super punk rock ethic. You have, um, you know, all these stories. You have Mark Gonzalez, who's just godfather of, you know, street skating. And then Jason Lee obviously became superstar actor and still skates and still, you know, very much a part of the culture. And in my time at Adidas skateboarding, uh, Mark Gonzalez is on Adidas and 
so I, I spent time with Mark. So the 12 year old in me who saw him skating at, at my first demo, I, I got to spend time with him. I spent a week in New York city with a bunch of the team riders with Mark, you know, riding elevators with him, going out to lunch with him. And, you know, my head was just spinning. I was like, this is insane. And it was all to me, I attributed to just that, that connection to being passionate about something and doing your best every day to be a good person in the workplace, learn as much as you can. Um, and also just put the things that you want to do out in the ether to, to see what happens. Yeah. And you also refused to get, to get let go. I did refuse to let go. <laughs> Man, I love that. I actually have never heard like when, when someone's about to get packaged out, I've never heard someone being like, no, nah, I'm not done. Like we're going to work this out. I got, I got more to give you guys. Let's figure it out. It's an interesting strategy. Uh, so it takes someone being willing to do that. And also it takes people on the other end being able to be like, hmm, that's actually cool. I don't know if that would work in today's corporate environment. In some companies, it probably would. Others, it wouldn't. But that's definitely super cool that you did that. And I'm in the chat in the book of your life. That's a cool chapter. It's a cool thing that you did that. I, I definitely don't know if it would ever work again. It was my time to say something and be honest. And there's yeah. that transparency, you know, it's like, Oh, I got nothing to lose. So might as well yeah. say, it. and I literally said, I'm not fucking done. And that was another thing that they were like, Whoa, this guy's literally getting his walking papers and decides to drop an F bomb on us. Um, <laughs> but it, it kind of connected back to like, maybe there's something more, not just that they can selfishly grasp, but you know, that contagious side of energy and excitement, um, it's all necessary. Yeah. And like, okay, that pushing back in that moment, it's not just like, oh, I'd like to keep my job. It's like, I'm not fucking done. Right. And creating that energy and having that vision. So, so much of punk and hardcore is like the energy and like that kind of magnetic feel of like, whoa, I want to be a part of that. Like when I think about, so if I think about Cadence and how I built this company, there's like a bazillion coaching firms and some of them are going to be better than us. And a lot of them are going to be abysmal and totally suck. Why does someone work with us? It's because I believe my own shit and I 100% believe my own shit. And I think believing your own shit while being willing to be told you're full of shit and totally be willing to hear it and like listen for feedback and, and roll with it. I think that's one of the things that punks do very, very, very well. You got to own your shit because that's what makes people interested in working with you and like why they would choose to work with you versus someone else. Someone might be more talented than you. They might have better um, technical skills. They might have all of these other things. But if they don't have that inherent confidence and that belief in themselves, they're, they're not as good as you then. Totally agree. I mean, I, I listened to a few podcasts that you did with friends of mine, um, and a couple of them stood out. You know, LaCroix talking about oh, his journey. You know, he and yeah. I played in a band together, so we got pretty close and talked about life and music and history and business. And, you know, I'm so proud to hear him where he's at now and, you know, the way he can articulate he didn't want to be the the creative guy with all the solutions. He wanted to be the guy that inspired his team to find the solutions, the, the, the type of leader to ask the questions to get the team to figure out the answers. And Rob mm -hmm. Fish, same thing. Like, I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I need to know how to steer the smartest people that I hire to do what they do best. And mm -hmm. I definitely, with humility, have never attempted to be the one with all the answers and roles that I've had. Um, I think that is something that maybe is more inherent in a person than 
then comes directly from the hardcore community or the culture or whatever. But I mean, maybe we have some humility because, you know, we didn't come from metal. We didn't come from arena shows. You know, you had small stages and um, a very attainable and accessible, you know, relationship with band and uh, audience. And maybe there's something to that too, but. Well, totally. And, and also that most of us are, not very good musicians, but we were able to do a lot with that, which is like one of my favorite thing about punk and hardcore is like, Hey, I'm actually not a good musician, but I've been able to like see the entire world. And that like belief in what you're doing is like, no, I can't play like the dude from whatever band, but I'm definitely going to do more as a musician than them because I'm going to go out and like throw myself on the line. And we've got that audience. So I, I, I love, I love that humility. That's, that's part of your story. And, and the two guys you mentioned part of their story as well. Like both, both, uh, Rob and John, like when I was done their uh, interviews, I was like, damn, that was cool. Especially John. I took a lot away from John's. All right, let's go back to you though, your career. Um, so you're at Adidas for 20 years. What was with the shift from Adidas to element? It, it wasn't fun anymore. And I, I have no reason to not be honest about this part. Like, the whole time, pretty much from 99 until I chose to leave, which was uh, in the spring of 2018, it was cumulatively more gratifying, um, you know, the collaboration with the teams, what we set out to do and how we wanted to do it within um, Adidas skateboarding, you know, the integrity that we wanted to bring um, as loyalists to that culture. And I'm not claiming to be, you know, number one skateboarding culture and history and being able to name drop, you know, everybody who had every part. And I think that's also the humility that I brought to that role was being able to kind of look at that, look at where I was and look at what I could do from a business side and, and connect the dots and find the people who are passionate. But it, it just ended up not really being as fun anymore. It got complicated. And personally, I felt like I was done at that point. Um, I've done more than I had thought business-wise, you know, done fun projects like we did with Revelation and we did a collab shoe before, you know, that was as popular to do um, within hardcore labels. And I was just ready for the next. And sunny Southern California is a trip for me to think about growing up as a kid with New York City as my backdrop to eventually end up here. But, you know, over the years, again, I think like paying attention to the community and paying attention to the friendships. Uh, when I was going through a hard time with the divorce, I realized that my friends in Orange County who came from hardcore were actually a really strong emotional support for me and backbone for me and cared about me. Um, and I was like, wow, that would be insane to live in Southern California. And, um, it's a funny story actually with Element too, because I, I met up with a buddy of mine when I was down here, um, and just wanted to get his recruiter's information. So we went out for coffee and he worked at Element and, uh, he was like, Hey, how's your, how's your timing? I'm like, I got, I got time. He's like, good. Cause the GM from Element is on his way. He's going to be here in 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh man, you totally punked me. Like I didn't, <laughs> I knew more people, you know, who didn't necessarily, um, think that was a good career move for me, you know, go from big Adidas, it was on the rise and all this great stuff to working for Element, you know, which is this heritage brand in skateboarding, but, you know, I've had a, a, a troubled few years. Um, and again, I think like 
if I were to step back and I was always respectful of the element, what I liked about it was that it was a brand with purpose. Um, it was a brand with uh, a soul and a connectivity to positivity. You know, part of what we embraced was social and environmental responsibility, which I could get down with. Um, a positive force in skateboarding, which no disrespect to anybody else who doesn't carry that mantra from a skateboarding brand perspective, but I could get down with that. Obviously, a, a, an incredible history and what I felt like was also an incredible future. Um, and they made me an offer and uh, I said yes. Right on. So you got surprise interviewed. I got surprise interviewed for sure. Good for you, man. So how did you show up in that moment? Um, and I think this is like really important. Like, and this goes a bit to your story. Like, Hey, you know, you put out this ad when you went to Portland, met a person, asked for a job, you know, what? I'm going to get this job. You shot for it. Um, you were going to get let, let go. You shot your shot. You're like, no, I'm not fucking done. Now you're in this other situation where someone's like, Oh yeah, by the way, the GM's coming right now. You're at put in the spot. A lot of people don't take the shot and if they back off, they freak out, maybe they give up, maybe they get too nervous. How do you do that? Or how have you done that? Cause it seems like throughout your career and in your life, you've been more than willing to like shoot your shot at that time. And it sounds like you've been pretty successful doing it. Honestly, I flipped the interview around, um, probably unintentionally. And I, I kind of put it into his court. Like, why do I want to work for element? And I asked Johnny that same question, like, why should I work for element? Why do you guys want me? And, and not what's in it for me selfishly, but you know, I'm already good. Like I'm in a great place. Yeah. I want to move to Southern California. They don't need to know that, but what is it about this brand? Tell me, sell me on the job as opposed to me trying to interview and tell, you know, the hiring manager, all the great things that I've done or who I am or how I lead. Like, can this be uh, mutually awesome? Um, and I already had, you know, not to play too much of like hold my cards too close to my chest, but I already knew, you know, about some of the challenging things and also knew enough about my travels in Europe. Like Almond was incredibly well positioned in Europe and I saw it as an opportunity too in the US. So kind of took that step back and said, I don't need this job. And I think that's also a really interesting place to be when you don't need something, you know, you go to the car dealership and they're trying to sell you all the extra shit and you're like, actually, you know what? I don't need a car today. And they come down in price or they give you the free oil changes for life, you know, whatever it might be. So I didn't need it. I didn't need a helmet. I would have found another way, but it all started clicking and it all started making sense. And I go very much by feel you can almost tell like, if I have an anxiety about something, it's probably not right. Yeah. If I have butterflies in my stomach that gets into like, oh, this is, I'm going to see shelter tonight. I'm stoked. Like, I don't care if it's going to take us two hours to get to city gardens. Like I can feel it. And I started feeling good about this conversation that we had then. And then, you know, we had a couple other conversations and it, it just, it felt right. And it was right. And it, it's been an awesome ride. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell us about your time at Element. Time at Element. So I was brought on to be the global vice president for merchandising design and development. So essentially heading up the entire um, product engine, we call it. And 
one of the things that I was able to do at Adidas was be in a non-endemic city in Portland and still try and figure out the nuances of uh, the global skate business and listen, learn, um, trust my counterparts and unite. And that was a challenge for Element at the time. There's a couple different creative offices set up and my track record I thought was a, was a good one. And um, so coming into Element, the first thing I really wanted to do was try and bring everybody together um, and give everybody the opportunity and that, that collaborative moment to say, you know, where are you as an individual? Where is the brand? How do you see it? Um, the people on my team and, and also, you know, my peers from the other brands that we sit next to and, and the sales force as well. Like what's, what's not working? How can we fix this? How can we make it better? Um, and how do we elevate some of the stories that have been part of the history, but aren't part of the present? Um, that need to be part of the future. And I've been surrounded by, you know, incredible people, incredibly talented people who also have humility about not being the best at what they do, but they are passionate about the brand and the purpose and um, the potential. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been fun. Um, we've done some pretty amazing things that, I, I, again, as a kid, I don't think I would have ever imagined doing. Relationships with uh, Lucasfilm's crew and did a Star Wars collaboration and I'm not the biggest Star Wars nerd, but I uh, certainly grew up with it. It's certainly a massive part of my my youth, and um, they were an incredible uh, group of people to work with. It's still ongoing, so it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, doing stuff with Bad Brands is kind of I was telling you in the pre-show, like that was uh, that was fun for me. You know, that was again. I think if I put passion and how it drives me, like my goal was to tell a, a real story um, not just skated to a bad brain song in his first full part um, and when the element peace video was coming out that was uh, only a couple months after i started uh, there was another guy on the team named nasim who skated the bad brains and i'm like this is perfect like we've got two guys who skate to bad brain songs we have this color palette that can tie itself into, you know, Bad Brains, Rasta inspired color palette. And we have this positive message. Mm. So what can go wrong, you know? Um, and it was, it was so fun, so fun to do. And then bringing in uh, BJ Pappas too. So another prop I brought, one of the things I'm super stoked on, um, having grown up in hardcore, she's got some of the most iconic photography ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sick of it all, seven inch and, and so on. So connecting dots. Let's go back and talk about Adidas for a second and that that shoe collab, because for me, that was like the first shoe collab that I really like. Maybe had the GB fans one happened yet? Had that happened it, yet? It had just come out. Yeah. It was small. Okay, so, yeah. Um, like there are very few... I like sneakers, just like any hardcore person likes sneakers. I think that's how you and I got started talking was about sneakers. That's at Rainfest. Right. That's right. Um, I like sneakers as much as any other hardcore person likes sneakers. I, I'm not like crazy about them, although like Patrick is sitting across the computer from me laughing because I have like 60 pairs of sneakers. But like, you know, I'm not like a nut about sneakers. There are some sneakers I regret not getting at the time. So the GB ones I regret not getting at the time. I, I just 
I didn't like the colors. It wasn't really like my thing. The ones that I really regret not getting though are those Adidas Rev ones. So tell us about that process of creating those things. How did that idea even come up? Okay, so this goes back into that ad that I put into the, the Mercury because the you know hate mail or the hardcore is dead responses that I was getting similar to my uh, exit interview where I was like, no, this is bullshit. Hardcore is not dead. Um, on a trip to California, a work trip, I had lunch with Jordan. I brought him out and I was like, I got this idea. And hear me out before you shut me down. Let's use my network of bands that I know that are current, that are connected to, you know, this next generation of, of kids who go to shows and buy records and let's pay tribute to the back catalog, not an isolated band within the catalog, but let's actually pay tribute to Revelation Records. And if anybody knows Jordan, he is one of the most humblest people on the planet that I know who has plenty of room to actually not be humble and be, you know, very prideful, which I know he is as well, but I just kept waiting for him to shut it down. Like now we're no, 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 you know, no one cares. And in a nutshell, he was like, Hey, look, if you put it together, I'll put it out. And it was a three year <laughs> journey. Um, uh-huh. I had no budget, but I had a lot of people who I knew who were in bands. And I, when I approached him, I was like, Hey, you want to do a cover song from, you know, the back catalog of uh, Revelation and and we're going to put it out. Rev's going to put it out. And bands that always wanted to be on Revelation got a chance to record a song and have it come out on Revelation, including Backlash, which was the only thing I asked for. It was like, I'm putting Backlash on it. You can't say no. And that was actually a year we recorded and played CBs for the first time. It was in 2006. Um, so the shoe conversation came up because Jordan was like, hey, well, you work at Adidas. Um can we do a shoe? And I mean, my apprehension was as thick as it could have been. I was like, ah, I don't think so, man, but let me find out. And long and short, there were a couple of people in the building who cared. You know, we built a, a, a little PowerPoint presentation showing how hardcore culture connects with sneaker culture. And here's a picture of Matt Bold on the cover of Speak Out wearing the campus. Here's Sick of It All <laughs> on the so seven inch cover wearing, you know, rivalries or forums or whatever um Mm -hmm. and you know we just built up this i guess you know credibility authenticity story if it was Mm -hmm. ever needed Um, but Mm -hmm. we really just kind of snuck it through um so we made 150 pairs for the 150th release of uh revelation which was the Mm -hmm. same as the comp Um, it was all vegan materials um we had a designer from the uk who was working at adidas at the time big hardcore fan when he was growing up um, in England and, uh, we made it happen and it only went to, um, guys and girls who were on the compilation mm-hmm. and then some extended rev family, you know, like mm-hmm. Porcel and Capo and yeah. Walter and those guys. So yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the funnest times I've had, you know, working on a collaborative project. That's such a sick story, man. And I remember those things getting rolled out and I was like, you know, I'm a hardcore kid. So a record comes out and a hundred copies of something are made. You're like, oh, I'm getting a copy. Or like, you know, it's like the floor punch seven hundred gold. I'm going to get that somehow, right? And the sneakers came out and I don't know. At the time I was like, man, you know, that's, I, I mean, I thought it was super cool, but I wasn't like, oh, I must have those. And now like I'm heading, I'm almost 47. I'm like, how do I not have a pair of these? 
And it actually has entered into my head in the past like year, my mission to get an intact, unworn, unused pair of those. However, that's for like a totally different conversation. I love that story. And I never actually heard the story and how that came together. I love the idea of having a corporate boardroom PowerPoint with Matt Bold in there. Like that's like blows my mind. But then we go to Element and we're in Element. You've got all these great connections. You do this rollout of uh, Bad Brain Skateboard. You've got some cool shirts, all of that. Here's what I, I'm real interested in. And I don't, I don't have an opinion on this one way or the other. I've, I've been thinking about it a bit. So we see a lot of these bands that you and I grew up in and that all we all grew up on. Some of them have been around forever, like Bad Brains. Some of them have reformed, like Gorilla Biscuits. But they come from this place of like ownership for us. Like this is our community. This is our space. And now through like partnerships with like Adidas or partnerships with um, Vans or partnerships with Element, these bands are now like kind of more out in the world. And the more that this is happening with bands, the more that they're doing these collabs, I've thought of like, is this cool or is this uncool? Like, does it, does it do something to our culture, like our, our punk and hardcore culture that's like a, becomes a little bit too commercial or a little bit out of our control or, or is every band now shooting to have like a shoe or have like an action figure or whatever it is. And again, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I work in the business world, you know, but I have been thinking about it and you as someone who's been behind some of these collabs, what are your thoughts? There's people like me in other companies who are connecting their dots, who are following their passions and who are trying to do it with all of the integrity that they grew up on, um, no pun intended, from the hardcore scene. And uh, so I, I find it exciting. I think what is always a good opportunity if you start from good and you start with good intentions and you start with that point of not thinking about the business, but thinking about the story and thinking about the why. Why do we want to talk about the bad brains? And it was pre-crisis when we started talking about the bad brains, but what the, the collaboration with Element, what a great time to talk about positive mental attitude mm -hmm. at a time when kids who didn't know that phrase, who didn't understand that, who don't understand when people scream that they're not just angry, that they have a, an intent on the other side of that scream that is positive, that wants to make a change. Um, commercializing hardcore through sneakers. I mean, I've heard the phrase collabs are, are dead for the last 15 years. Um, I guess I'd put it, you know, similar to the band who was always on an independent label who decided to sign to a major. Like, do they uphold the message that they started with or are they still just having fun? You know, it doesn't always have, have to be about the message, but are, are they good people? Are they inspiring good things in the world? Are they taking responsibility when they stand in front of a bigger crowd to educate um, and have a point of view and maybe inspire someone to do something as simple as listen to a band from the history that maybe isn't going to get seen or heard otherwise. I get excited too. So when Noah did that youth of today stuff and then the youth of today skateboard, I was like, I, I need to have that. That's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I love it. Like I want every human being on the planet to know who youth of today is. It doesn't mean they have to like it, but like youth of today is like, man, like I, at least for me, they, they changed my life. 
bad brains. I want every person on the planet to know who bad brains is. They don't have to like them. You don't have to want to go to a bad brain show, but just that essence of like what people can do when they put their mind to it and, the, and like their story and what they've changed. I think these are important things. I want everyone in the world to know who minor threat is. And there's some weird side of me that's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want anyone to know that. And if that happens, it's a bad thing. It's kind of like when I was a kid, it's like a band doing a reunion show was automatically a bad thing in my mind. Like they're selling out, they're doing this. But now it's like, oh, I think it's awesome. I can go and see Gorilla Biscuits. They've never played bad ever when I saw them. It was always like one of the greatest nights ever. So like my thinking has changed a lot as I've evolved, gotten older, you know, kind of seen how like business can be done very well and in an ethical way. But there is always this like weird side of me that has a little bit of a regret of almost like, um, lost innocence or just wishing it could be back how it was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So as you've done those projects, have you ever felt anything like that? I mean, I think that if there was, it's not regret, it's more just like, well, I got to pull Daryl into meetings that I don't know if, you know, my relationship with him is going to get soured, you know, with him having to sit in on a phone call, but I was wrong. You know, my apprehension was, no, this guy's like Johnny on the spots, literally, a three o'clock call. He's on the phone at three o'clock. Like he showed up professional, but he also showed up himself. You know, we never had a conversation with him that was less than 45 minutes to an hour because he just was ready to share. He was ready to talk ideas. He was ready to collaborate and get creative and spark that energy in all of us. And it wasn't about the dollars and cents. It was about how do we make stories? How do we make some rad stuff happen? And that to me, I think is always going to be the most important is again, going back for me, how, how does it feel? And it, it never felt in any of these collaborations, it never felt forced. It never felt like it was for the wrong reasons. Um, and I'm super proud of, of that because I think it would have been difficult to be on the other side of something and be like, yeah, that bad brains thing was cool on the outside, but like it was a horrible process or you know, the dudes weren't really down for it or whatever. Like it was a hundred percent authentic. So I'm, I'm proud of that. Cause I've, I think it did show that there's room to do creative things for the right reasons. And those who are willing to read about it and study up on it and find something and take something away from it. I think that outweighed the risk of having a, um, that one uh, collaboration anyway, come across as, as being too corporatized. Yeah. Well, and so you've talked a lot about like, oh, let's create a cool story. And like that kind of, you know, the past is the past. Creating something now based on something that was cool then is creating something new now. It's kind of creating a new story now or bringing people into something. It's creating an energy now. And a lot of your career seems to have been about like putting stuff that you're passionate for, about first prior to prioritizing your passion. So what does that mean for you? Like, how do you prioritize your passion? <laughs> It's a, it's a practice. Mm. Um, the last few years, I've definitely taken stock on what I like to do and what I don't like to do, what I love and what maybe sucks. Mm. And, you know, there's magnets about it now, but, you know, do more of what you love. One of the guys I work for at Adidas happened to be a hardcore kid from New Jersey, also ran in the same circles. He was the GM for action sports. And the last year he gave me my review, he said, what's it going to take for this year to be your best year at Adidas? And it was like, 
I, I don't think I've ever even thought about it that way. And what manager really like puts that out there? Um, but he put it to me to figure out what I want to do and what I'm, and I, I put passion first. So my passion was to connect skateboarding community and go to New York and not just bring two people, but bring the whole squad. So when we went to Brooklyn with, you know, I won't go down the list of names, but a cast of skateboarding legends all the way to up and comers, we took our whole squad together. And that was a big turning point for me to say, if I go for it, if I figure out and articulate in my head what I'm passionate about and why I'm doing what I'm doing selfishly, but also humbly, more things start coming my way. And so my discipline, I try my best to do every day is, is figure out what I want to do, what I'm most excited about, do more of that and try not to sweat the small stuff as cliche as that sounds and try not to let the things that I don't like to do get in the way of the energy and the excitement and honestly the results of what it means to live with passion first and prioritizing that a little bit more in your day. So uh, yeah. very, very humbly grateful for, for the journey I've been on. So what's next for you professionally? You know, I, it's a good question. I'm, uh, I'm open to what comes my way. I'm going to be quietly confident on, on, uh, this journey being one that's necessary. My entire career so far has been sort of, you know, a positive experience of the dominoes, you know, being connected on a path that I couldn't have seen before I got there. And, um, I'm super happy to be in Southern California. I'm super happy to have had the track record that I've had and worked with the amazing people that I have. And I'm excited about the the future. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I know that, um, that good things will, will come. I know that I'll end up working with incredible people again and, and the network of people that I've developed relationships with both through music and skateboarding in the industry are, they've got my back. Heck yeah. All right. So I got three questions, uh, left for you here. Turning point. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> you already hit it, man. All right. What are you, what are your three bands? They're not New Jersey bands. I'm just saying in general. They, and I know this answer could change tomorrow and the day after, but I want you to tell us punk and hardcore. So not any other genre. What are three bands that changed your life? Three bands that changed my life. Um, Sensefield. Do, do you know why? You just want to know the bands. Oh, tell me why. I'd love to hear why. I saw Sensefield play on the state of the nation tour on a rainy Thursday night to maybe 17 people including the other bands and they played like it was a fucking sold out show and i developed a relationship with them intentionally on that night because i was like as a musician who played for 15 people quite a lot um but also you know just inspired by by john and you know the the energy he brought um it was humbling it was inspiring and uh they for sure will have always have a place in my heart. And John, um, you know, it was very personal for me. I, I, uh, I connected with him a lot and, um, you know, definitely miss him and his, his vocals are, uh, are always connected to me, um, in that emotional place. Um, youth of today, without a doubt, just everything that came up, 
um, power energy watching, you know, Capo even today. So proud of those guys and, and what they've done. And, you know, the fact that Noah, you know, again, passion project for, for those guys, you know, can bring them back out. Um, man, last one. <sighs> Probably sick of it all. Mm. I, uh, I watched like many of your listeners, I'm sure I watched that, uh, New York hardcore in effect video with GBAF and sick of it all. And, uh, there's a part where Pete gets asked, um, if you weren't doing sick of it all, what would you be doing? He was like, I don't know. I'd probably be, you know, working in some office wearing some stupid fucking suit or something like that. And that was literally the time when I was like, I'm not going to wear a suit for my career. And, uh, my dad was a businessman. He was always telling me, you know, I need to get my golf game going so that I could network on the golf course. And I was like, I'm just not fucking down with that beyond the band, just the people and the longevity. I know you had Armand on like for sure, you know, as a drummer, incredible. I play harder and with more passion knowing how he plays. Um, and then, you know, fortunate again through relationships over the years to, to be able to tell Pete a couple of years ago, like that quote changed my life. Yeah. 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 Sick of it all is uh, first of all, great list. Awesome list. I love the sense field mention in there too. Um, Sick of it all is so interesting to me because they're like legitimately a good business study. They've been a band for all of this time and they've lived off of it and they've done it not because they followed the trends or any of that because they totally stayed true to themselves and they're just like ethical, smart people. They did it well. You know, when I did Armand's thing, I was like, oh, tell me like I'm looking for the dark side of the story and there's just like no dark side. Like, oh, everything went well. <laughs> I was laughing about it afterwards. It went well because you guys are just a great band and you're real people and I just love that. All right, so two more questions for you. Yeah. Um, so Backlash, uh, you know, a band that, that, really was around a lot of iconic bands, but seemed to kind of like never quite get the attention that you guys could have or should have gotten. So if you're going to tell our listeners anything about Backlash or you want to point them to anything that you feel best represents the band, what would that be? I mean, it, it was a fun time. I think it was a weird place to be. New Jersey was so strong. Um, New York was so strong. We were in a weird pocket of North Jersey where there just wasn't much going on. But um, we do have a discography um, that is on Spotify called Through Different Eyes. And uh, it's the 28 songs we recorded and released over the years. Um, most proud of the fact that we did Wise Up um, for that, that uh, Revelation compilation. And then we did it 10 years after we had broken up. Um, so, yeah, super proud of what we did. I, I, I'm happy for the relationships that will last a lifetime from, from that experience. Okay. Awesome. And then as we're closing off, man, and you already mentioned this earlier, but our podcast draws people from all sorts of walks of life. We have straight up just business people who know nothing about punk and hardcore. We've got people who are CEOs to people who are frontline leaders who, who are listening. We have people who are artists, people who are skateboarders, people from the punk scene, people from all over the place. But the thing that they come to the podcast for is leadership stuff. And they want to hear about leadership and it could be leadership of others. It could be leadership of yourself. It could be about creating change. So as we're closing off, what do you want to share about uh, with that audience on that topic about like leadership and creating change? I think so much about leadership is listening. Mm -hmm. It's listening to yourself and where your line of integrity versus 
um, I don't know, falsifying what it is you are there to do, um, finding out who you are and being the best you you can be, um, and being a better you by listening to, to your team and listening to those around you and being open for that 360 feedback, even if it sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of where I would sum it up. All right. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and everyone. I will see you in the outro Spencer drop the beat. I was laughing with John as we finished the episode. I was like, man, you were being so concise that right at the beginning, you're like hitting these points. I thought it was only going to be a 15 minute interview. And then, uh, you know, we ended up expanding into this great conversation. It's so odd when you know people in punk and hardcore, but you don't like know them, know them. So John is a guy that I've had kind of a loose association with over the years. I learned so much about him in this past hour, but I learned a ton about well, A, about the revelation Adidas sneakers. Thank you, John. That's so so sick. But I learned so much about like how to be a person of integrity walking through the business world, staying true to who you've been while allowing yourself to become who you can be. John is a perfect example of that. And again, going back to the intro, just a reputationally sound person who I think has been living the best version of punk and hardcore that you can have where you're having a good experience of punk and hardcore and you're bringing that positive energy into the corporate world. The thing that I'd encourage everyone here is when we think about things like a positive mental attitude, it sounds so corny on one side, but the thing is it's actually real. If you focus on it, if you give yourself that same sense of like, no, it's going to work out. I just have to believe it's going to work out. I'm not talking about some like weird, like the secret stuff. I mean, having real belief in yourself, real belief in that the right things are going to happen, but also matching that with the willingness to take the leap. When the window shows up, you've got to do it. When you got to shoot your shot, you got to shoot it. And maybe if you're going to get let go, you got to just say, no, I'm not fucking done yet. Thank you, Joan, so much for being on the show. It was uh, just an incredible conversation. And I hope all of you got out as much of it from, from the conversation that I did. So as we're closing off, I want to remind you all, we're produced by Spencer Priest. We're recorded by Patrick McKechnie. And our design is done by Tammy Levy. So with that, we're going to close off. And we will see you next time on One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.